Well, welcome to Crossroads Church Online and Happy Easter. My name is Matt Manning and I'm the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church and I have the privilege of opening up God's word with you today as we walk through the Easter account. Now, there is no Easter if something didn't happen the Friday before. The way it all goes down, the Apostle John writes for us like this. This is John chapter 19, starting in verse 28. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Now, we call this the crucifixion story. And the reality is, is there's no one alive, not Christian or non-Christian, who hasn't heard the story, the story of Jesus dying on the cross. And yet to truly understand what Easter is all about, what today is all about, we have to go back. We go back to, to Friday afternoon, early afternoon. We see the walls of Jerusalem, and just outside of those walls of Jerusalem are three crosses. On the outer crosses are two criminals hanging there to die. The middle cross is empty. The middle cross has already claimed its victim. The only thing actually left on the middle cross is a hastily made sign that reads, Jesus, King of the Jews. And it's that sign that tells the whole story. See, throughout Israel's history, throughout all of Israel's history, that there was this promise that was made by God that goes all the way back to the beginning pages of Scripture. It was a promise that God had made to the Israelites that one day, one day, a, a special one, a promised one would come to save the entire world. That as we read through the Old Testament, these, these accounts, there was these guys named the prophets. And any time that, that they would refer to this promised one, the, the one that God had promised, they would, they would call him the Messiah or the Christ. These two words mean the same thing. One's Greek, one's Hebrew, but they both meant the anointed one. The one that God was sending to save the world. Now, in first century Israel, that like most of the known world, Israel is living under the oppressive rule of Rome. And, and as they read the Old Testament prophecies, as they, as they read the Old Testament scriptures, they do what we do. They would read these, these accounts through their own cultural lenses. And as they read this account of the promised one that was to come, this promised one sent by God, what they assumed it meant is that, is that God was going to send a man into their space to ultimately deliver them from Rome, to free them from Rome, and to return them to the glory years of, of King David, their, their greatest king that they ever, that they ever had. This is the way that they, that they understood the scriptures. Now, during the first century in Israel, there were many Messiah-type candidates, men who were willing to risk everything, men willing to do whatever it took to overthrow Rome, to, to cause problems for Rome. They and their followers were oftentimes considered rebels to Caesar. And they would go into the Roman arsenals and they would steal what they thought was theirs, what they thought had been stolen by the empire. From time to time, they would, they would rise up people and they would shout rebellion, rebellion. And, and, and it was all very Robin Hood-ish, actually. There was many of these, many of these candidates and the penalty for, for any of these, these messiahs, for any rebel of Rome, the penalty was crucifixion. The, the penalty was death. Now, before Jesus, in the first century Israel, there were 18 messiah-type candidates. And all 18 candidates before Jesus all met the same fate. All of them were crucified. Around 30 AD, Jesus comes on the scene. 
And almost immediately, people start to wonder, is this the Messiah? Is this the one? Is this the, is this the anointed one that we've been waiting for? I mean, everything seemed to point to it. That as Jesus made his way from town to town, like, like he spoke with authority in the synagogues that, that no one had ever had seen before. They had never seen it before. That when he would speak, he would speak of, of this kingdom that was coming, this kingdom of God, this new kingdom. That as he went from town to town, he would, he would walk into these towns with this, with this power. I mean, he had power to, to do miracles, to, to have people who were never able to walk, get up and walk, for people who had never been able to see, suddenly be able to see. In fact, one time, he actually raises someone from the dead. And when Jesus prayed, it was like he was actually praying to someone he knew. On, the account, on, on one account, Jesus does this, this amazing miracle. One day he's out teaching and there's 5,000 or more people who are gathered and they're all getting hungry. And, and so Jesus takes this boy's lunch, a couple of fish and, and five loaves of bread, and he feeds all 5,000 people. And as he does this, the people, they become really excited. They get super excited. I mean, I mean, they're ready to anoint him king. In fact, the way that it's told to us is that they've made up in their minds that they are going to force Jesus to be king, that they're going to force him to be king. And they had to be wondering, if Jesus could do this with two fish and five loaves, what could he do with an army and with a whole bunch of swords? But Jesus, he was unlike all the other Messiah candidates that came before him. That Jesus constantly and repeatedly told his followers, his disciples, anyone who would listen, that his, that his role, that his job was not to come into the world to overthrow Rome. No, that he was coming into the world to die. And for his followers, they never, they never quite got this. They never could quite comprehend what Jesus was saying. It did not fit with the picture of the Messiah that they were looking for. And then we have this event on Palm Sunday. That's the Sunday before the Friday of the crucifixion. And Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way to Jerusalem. They're heading there for the Passover meal. Passover was this huge tradition that was celebrated in Judaism as a part of their faith, as a part of tradition. And so they're on their way into Jerusalem. And Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on that day, Palm Sunday, and he's riding a colt. He's riding a donkey. And as he rides into Jerusalem, the people see him and they start to pick up palm branches and they start to wave it and they start to say, Hosanna, Hosanna. In other words, this is our God. This is our King. This is the one that God's sending to us. It's crazy. Only five days later, Jesus is, is standing before the Roman governor. He's standing before a guy named Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate is gonna ask him one important question. Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Now, all Jesus has to do in this moment is remain silent. They have nothing on him. And yet he looks Pontius Pilate in the eyes and he says to them, just, just two words. He says, I am. And in that moment, Jesus knew that to be a rebel of Caesar was death. And in that moment, he pronounces his own death. That he gives the Roman officials everything they need to crucify him. And on that Friday, Jesus, like every other Messiah candidate before him, was crucified and then laid hastily in a tomb. 
And on that Saturday morning, the next morning, the sun rises. And the Bible doesn't tell us a lot of what was going on then. But the city that had been screaming with blood just 24 hours earlier is now eerily silent. The crowds that had gathered to, to watch the crucifixion now, now abandons. And Jesus, well, Jesus is laying in a tomb. Jesus is dead, and there's not a person, not one of his followers, not one of the crowd, not the Roman soldiers who oversaw his crucifixion, not a single one of them believes otherwise. Every single one of them knows that Jesus is dead. And his followers on that Saturday morning, they had to have conversation about what happened, right? I mean, they, they had to ask, where was God in all of this? How could someone so special, I mean, I mean Jesus, he, he, he spoke with authority, he walked with power, his prayers. How could someone that special fail? How could he fail? That they had put all of their eggs all of their Easter eggs in one basket, and just like that, they were completely crushed. And the truth of the matter is, is that every single one of us have been there at some point in our lives, isn't it? That the truth is, is that every single one of us at some point, some point in our lives, have felt like we were in the same place where those disciples were. The same Saturday feeling that the disciples experienced. You know that day, don't you? The day that your hope fades, the days that your, your dreams die, that you wake up that, that next morning and you're alive, but something's missing. It doesn't feel the same. And you know that you have to go on. I mean, all of life's gonna go on. You have to go on, but, but you don't know how. If you were honest, you don't know why. Just everything's different. And for those disciples, that weekend must have felt like an eternity. Their, their king was gone, and their God in this moment is, is completely silence. And my guess is that most of us have probably experienced that Saturday feeling sometimes in our lives. That where we look at our Easter basket and, and our eggs are crushed, our eggs of relationship, our, our egg of retirement, our, our egg of a job, our egg of, of what might have been, our egg of, of never will be the same, the egg of, of life never being normal again, the egg of, que of, of health questionable, all of these eggs that are, that are broken. And you cry out and you cry out and you cry out and, and you, like the disciples, heaven seems so distant. Heaven seems so quiet. Heaven seems so silent. An old homily called The Lord's Descent spoke of this Saturday. It says, what's happening? Today, there's great silence over the earth, a great silence and stillness, a great silence because the king sleeps. And then the next day is Sunday. And everything changes on Sunday. John, Jesus' best friend, he writes it like this in John chapter 20. He says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. 
while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciples and and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lined with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary, she stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept, and she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've, they've taken my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid them. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, and this is the moment that everything changes. He calls out her name, Mary. And she turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. That in this moment on Sunday morning, everything changes. That all of a sudden, everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said, everywhere that Jesus went, all of a sudden, it made sense that, that everything came together in this moment. See, in this moment, it meant that Jesus had not failed, that Jesus really was the Messiah, and that the role of the Messiah was not to come in and to conquer some political power. It was not to come in and to conquer Rome, but it was coming in and conquering death so that we could be right before God. And three days later, when when Jesus walks up out of that grave, the meaning of the cross absolutely changes from a symbol of Rome's power and might to a symbol of the suffering love of God. It changes from an expression of torture to an expression of ultimate hope that we can be right with God. See, on this Sunday, everything changes because on this Sunday, Easter hope was released. A few moments earlier, in, be, in between the songs, Pastor James came up and, and he asked you a question. Do you remember? His question to you was, was, where is your happy place? Where is it that you go? What is it that you do where you find happiness, where you find purpose, where you find joy? For most of us, chances are that what came to your mind wasn't necessarily bad. In fact, it was probably good. It brings you happiness. But the truth of the matter is, for, for every single one of us, is that oftentimes we settle for good, don't we? We settle for good in our lives, and we never get to the point of receiving the great that God has invited us into. We cling to good, and, and maybe you're clinging to good because, because you don't know if great actually exists. You don't know if, if great 
can actually, is actually meant for you. That you don't know if you actually deserve great. That you don't know if, if great is actually too good to be true. And I think that's where the disciples are living before Jesus' death. That all they could see is the good. That's all they could see in their lives. All they could see is the good. That, that if they could just overthrow Rome, if somebody would overthrow Rome, then that would be good enough. That they could be good. And so as they read through the scriptures, they miss the great. They miss the reason that, that the Messiah was coming to begin with. They, they miss the reason that the Christ was coming into this world. They miss the great news that Jesus' coming was not to overthrow Rome or any other political power, but Jesus' coming into this world was so that you could be right with God. See, every single one of us at some point in our lives have, have wrestled with that question, haven't we? We've asked that question, God, are, are you and me, are we good? Are we good? And usually, usually we ask that question when, in, in kind of the, the darkness of the night, in the quietness of our souls, in the uncertainty of, of a world that's swirling around us, when we come face to face with our own mortality. In those moments, there are no atheists. In those moments, every single one of us go, God, are, are you and me, are, are we good? And the reason that we, that we ask that question, isn't this true? Is because there's something inside of us that knows that we're not. Maybe it's something you said or, or something you've done. Maybe it's the way that you've hurt someone else in your life. But there's something in every single one of us that goes, that goes maybe there's not something, there's something not right with me and God. Now the Bible calls this sin. And the Bible tells us that our sin actually separates us from God. That's, that's the feeling. That's why we ask the question, am I, am I good with you, God? That's the question that all of us ask. And in those moments, in those moments of wondering if, if we're good with God, the thing that every single one of us do is, is we work harder at being good, don't we? We work harder and harder and harder trying to be gooder and gooder and gooder. And yet the harder we work, the more we realize that we're never going to be good enough. And our souls never quiet. And there's never light in the darkness. Because we realize that, that we're not good enough. And yet that's what makes this Sunday so significant. It's what makes Easter hope worth paying attention to. Because Jesus, through his death and ultimately his resurrection, says that you can be right with God by trusting, believing, having faith in me. Now listen, this is true of every single person who believes. That Jesus, that Jesus looks and says, look, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter even how bad you've been or the bad things and the mess-ups that you've had in this world up till now. It doesn't even matter how many people that you've hurt. It doesn't matter how many times that you have sinned, that you are not made right with God by being good enough. That you're made right with God because Jesus was perfect. And he took on your penalty. He, he took on your sin, and he took it to the cross, and he died for you. And then three days later, he walks up out of that grave declaring 
Death is no more. Declaring victory over death. The apostle Paul later tells us, he goes, oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, where is your victory? Because three days later when Jesus walks up out of the grave with the resurrection, he proves he is who he says he is. And Jesus takes all of that and he looks at you and he looks at me today and, and he looks at it and he says, will you trust me? Will you believe in me? Will you have faith in me? And if we're willing to say yes, then Jesus goes, look, Easter hope begins with death. It begins with death to self, not, not literal death to self, but death to selfishness. Death to sin, death to greed, death to fear. See, Easter hope begins with death. And it's in death that we truly become alive. And the truth of the matter is, is that when we start to understand Easter hope, then we start to see the difference between relationship and religion. See, Jesus did not come to start a religion. Jesus came to have a relationship with you. That religion is, is all about how you perform and relationship is, is all about how Jesus performed. Religion says that if you work hard enough, then maybe, just maybe, God will love you. Relationship says no matter what you've done, Jesus already loves you. Relationship says, says God loves you. Religion is all about what you do. Relationship is all about what Jesus has already done for you. And so I imagine on this Easter Sunday, there are, there are some of you out there and you're looking at, at all of your broken eggs in your basket. And if you were honest with yourself, if you were honest with yourself, that some of these broken eggs for a long time have been your God. They've been your God, and, and you realize that on this day, your God's not resurrecting. And you're left in that moment like the disciples were on Saturday, wondering what do we do now? As hope fades, as your dreams die, as you realize there's no resurrection of your gods, what do you do now? that you're living in the Saturday before the resurrection. And maybe today, Jesus is whispering to your heart and he's whispering to your soul and saying, put your trust not in your little gods of broken eggs, but put your trust in the one true God. Put your trust in me. And in me, you will find life. Look, it's the situation I found myself in some 25 years ago with my own mortality staring me in the face, with uncertainty surrounding me all over, not knowing what the next day looked like, not knowing where to go from here. And I heard the whisper in my heart of Jesus calling, saying, would you, would you risk? Would you risk trusting me? Would you risk believing in me? See, the Bible is so plain, it's so simple. It says anyone who believes in their heart that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus is Lord and confesses that with their mouths, then they're saved. And on this day, 
you can put all of your broken eggs aside and you can trust in the one true God, the God who, who rose up out of that grave, defeating death and giving us life. I wanna pray for you. Would you join me with me in prayer? Father, we come to you and uh, God, you are so good. And Father, I pray for those right now, Lord, who are holding a whole bunch of broken eggs in their Easter basket. And Lord, I can imagine right now that, that their lives feel a lot like that Saturday before the resurrection. God, I pray that you would whisper to their souls right now, that you would awaken in them, that they would, they, they would see the resurrection and that they would risk trusting, believing in you, taking that step of faith. God, I pray that for them today. God, I pray for all of those who are, who are believers, Lord, who have put our hope in you, who have, who have put all of our eggs in your basket, knowing, Lord, that we're not settling just for good, but, Lord, that we are, that we are going for the great that you have offered us and that you have given to us. And for that, we are so grateful. Lord, everything that we have is yours. We love you, and we know that you love us. Lord, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.